Two on, one out, eighth inning. Cubs down a run. Ten of Javi's 18 home runs have been in the seventh or later. Cubs lead. Welcome to Eavesdrop. Here's your host, Matt Cozy. What a thrill to say this. Chicago Cubs television play-by-play broadcaster Len Casper joins Eavesdrop right now. Thank you so much for your time and for being on the show today, Len. Hey, you got it, Matt. And thanks to Marquee Sports Network for helping set this up, and that's where I want to start today. 60-game uh, baseball season this year, as we all know. You'll be in the Wrigley Field TV booth for all 30 home games, as you usually are at home. But you'll be in the Wrigley booth for all 30 road games as well. What is the setup for that going to be, and what adjustments do you have to make to call a game uh, without the action directly and physically in front of you? Yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting. Um, I've never called a, a game remotely. Uh, we're going to get an opportunity to uh, to try it. I guess a week from Monday uh, when we play the White Sox uh, for one of the exhibition games uh, down on the south side, and we'll still be uh, at Wrigley Field. But essentially, we'll just put, um, you know, the, the game feed uh, in, the, in the program monitor, which is what we use uh, for the, you know, on-site games. And then I think we're going to have a big monitor right smack dab in front of my face. That is what they call a lockdown or locked off camera uh, that that's from high home, which essentially mimics the view that you have from the booth. And that's a really important um, angle for me because not only can you see the whole field uh, with that view, but that's kind of how I look at the game. That's how I call the game. Uh, so that's the camera that I will use uh, mostly, I think, uh, to, to call the plays, particularly balls in the gap. And you have runners rounding third. You know, when you're watching a game on TV, if you think about it, you see the ball hit. Uh, they, usually the director follows the ball, so it's rolling, you know, on the warning track. And then he'll cut back to one runner scoring and then back to where the ball is and then back to another runner scoring. Well, that's, that's the way it should look on television. But when you're a play-by-play announcer calling the play, you know, you get confused. Is, is that the first runner? Is that the second runner? So I need to be able to see that landscape view of the entire field. Uh, so once that is is kind of figured out, I think we'll be in pretty good shape. I think the trick, Matt, will be being at empty Wrigley Field and not just like gazing out at the ballpark and realizing, oh, the yeah. Cubs are in Pittsburgh. I need, I need to I need to focus on the monitor and not look at the ivy. Do you think your radio background, your interest in radio, and still, you know? contributing to radio from time to time will help with that setup at all? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think my radio background always helps. 
the the ability to maybe ad lib and to you know fill some gaps if there's a a long delay for replay mm -hmm. uh, or an injury or something like that um sorry i've got my dogs barking at the mailman in the background That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i think i think my radio background will help now we do have some backup in terms of uh, i think they have a backup feed because the worst thing that could happen is you lose you know your monitor um it's one thing to to be on site and lose your monitor then you can basically call the game on radio uh, if the audio still is up but if we don't have a look at what is going on in the ballpark um I, you know i think that what they would do is just carry the other team's feed uh for a few minutes until kind of we're back up and running so we got to make sure that you cover all the bases and you know, whatever goes wrong gets gets remedied as, as quickly as possible. So this is the debut season for Marquis. What type of advantages and access does Marquis have as the only channel to see the Cubs as opposed to when the team was on three different stations for so many years? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've done daily shows so far, like 30-minute shows, and, and the access has been incredible. Um, I think if you look back, at some of the spring training uh, segments uh, that were done. Um, Mark Grace got actually on the field with Anthony Rizzo with his glove, and they talked, you know, being a, a gold glove first baseman and playing some defense. They have these really cool do-up segments where uh, Tony Andraki uh, sits down with one of the Cubs position players, and they kind of take it step-by-step step through the mental process of, uh, being in the dugout, then going to the on-deck circle, and then getting into the batter's box. So there's, there's an opportunity access-wise to, to get really deep because we have the opportunity as a 24-hour network to do some long-form things. Uh, so I think that's kind of the big thing. Uh, I think technologically, uh, and, and, and I, I can't give you all the secrets because you know they haven't all been rolled out, and I think on opening day – uh, some of those things will happen, but uh, either, there's a dirt cam uh, near uh, shortstop to kind of watch Javi Baez. Uh, we toyed with that in spring training. Um, you know, they mic'd up some players. I don't know if players will want to be mic'd during regular season games, but um, I'm, I'm guessing they will be asked. Uh, we'll probably have more in-game interviews. We have Taylor McGregor down on the field, and um, I, I believe the plan is she's going to travel and kind of be uh, our eyes and ears uh, actually at the ballpark, even though we're not there. Uh, so it's just, you know, the, the resources, the manpower, uh, and, and the talent is uh, really off the charts, and uh, that's what's been really exciting about it. This is your 16th season doing play-by-play -play for the Cubs. So besides uh, making, me, making you feel old, which I'm not trying to do, uh, many fans have grown up with you, Len. For many fans, you've been the only play-by-play uh, -play voice they've known. And there's really only been four main TV play-by-play -play voices in Cubs history, Jack Brickhouse, Harry Carey, Chip Carey, and Len Casper. Have you reflected on this at all in terms of holding a position like this in a major market for a major team and, and kind of the coolness of that? For sure. Um, you know, I, I, it, it, it hit me when I got the job, obviously. Um, I was asked, was it your dream job? And, and I give the same answer to this day, and it's, it's really true. No, because <laughs> this job was well beyond my wildest dreams. My, my goal was just to get – 
uh, to the major leagues and to, to have a job like this was something I never uh, had really envisioned. It was uh, beyond my grasp. Uh, it's way bigger, way better, uh, way more fulfilling than anything I, I could have ever imagined. And then over the last several months, uh, I've been getting a few calls and, and you know, texts from people who did the math and said, hey, this is, this is your 16th season. That's how many years uh, Harry was on the north side. And uh, so I've been asked a lot about that. And, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't even want to be put in the same sentence as Harry Carey. And even though uh, I've been here, you know, as long as he uh, was here, uh, 16 years for Harry felt like 32. It's like uh, his impact was so enormous uh, that, you know, he kind of overshadows uh, just about everybody other than Jack Brickhouse. You know, I think those are the two guys you think about, right? Uh, Jack Brickhouse, right. Harry Carey. Uh, those are the, the, the two uh, Hall of Fame broadcasters who, you know, kind of put the Cubs on the, on the public map with uh, fans in Chicago and then beyond. And uh, it's, it's just an honor to, to be mentioned in the same uh, breath with those guys for sure. And Chip, you know, Chip's a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been doing this for a long time and I have so much respect for him and uh, he's a great broadcaster and a great friend. And uh, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to stay in touch with him as well. Baseball is always viewed as a marathon, you know, the old saying it's a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, this season is certainly going to be a sprint with 60 games in two months. Uh, the Cubs have had a lot of success over the last five years. I did some some digging, and, and there are still six players who started that Game 7 of the World Series uh, who are still around and will start on opening day later this month. Schwarber, Bryant, Rizzo, Contreras, Hayward, and Baez. How do you think the Cubs are built for this type of season being more of a sprint? It's a great question. I think every team and uh, people around the game are asking that same question. Uh, we we kind of need to, to let it play out. You know, does a veteran type team benefit from this? Does a younger team uh, that might be naive and has never been through this, you know, uh, and, and, and never been in the playoffs, do, do they – kind of handle that pressure better? I, I, I don't know the answer. I, I, I do know that health will be paramount, uh, any sort of major injury or, you know, God forbid, a, a positive COVID test is going to knock somebody out of the mix for a big chunk of the season. Uh, two to four weeks could be, you know, that's, that's half the year. Um, and, and it is a sprint, but I, I guess I'm, I'm choosing to say it's kind of the back end of a marathon um, mm. 60 games, not a lot. The Cubs started last year two and seven, and by game 60, they were what, 34 and 26. So, you know, you don't want to start this year two and seven, that's for sure. And I think if that happened, a lot of people around them might panic. But the bottom line is you, you still can recover from a bad couple of weeks. It's not ideal to go through that. Um, and we know what happened in September when the Cubs' nine-game losing streak basically knocked them out of contention. But uh, I do know this. They're going to be well-managed. I, I think David Ross in his first year uh, will prove to be a very quick study. Uh, I think this team does come in with a bit of a chip on its shoulder uh, because of the way last year uh, ended in a very empty fashion. I think everyone internally felt that it was a much better team than its 84 and 70 eight record indicated. Um, and for some of the, the guys who are not getting any younger, 
you know, this window uh, isn't going to be open forever. And this core group is not going to be together forever. So there's a big sense of urgency. And the fact that we are having a season, I think, is really important because this group uh, deserves as many opportunities to, to get back to the World Series as possible. Aside from that main group, and maybe because the season is shorter, who is one player that we're not really aware of that we should keep an eye out for off the bench, out of the bullpen, or, or something else? Good question. Uh, I'm going to go Steven Souza Jr., uh, okay. who did not play last year. He's, he's been, um, you know, kind of uh, banged up. He had the, the knee injury uh, that happened at the end of spring training last year. Um, but a couple of years ago, uh, you know, had a really good offensive season and I think could be an intriguing bat uh, in that lineup. Um, I would imagine, assuming it's Brandon Woodruff on opening day, Steven Souza Jr. could be your DH. Although if you Darvish is the starting pitcher, then maybe Victor Caratini's the catcher, meaning Wilson Contreras could be the DH. But Souza will get his bat in the lineup. He can play all three outfield spots. And uh, so far what I've seen, and some of the live BP and then going back to spring training. It's got a lot of, a lot of zip in that bat. And uh, I think, I think, um, you know, good veteran presence in the clubhouse. So I keep an eye on him. We'll see what David Ross decides to do, but I think I'm going to go with Ian Miller to answer that question, stealing some bases. Yeah, I think he'll probably be on the, the opening day roster. And then, you know, depending on how, the roster is utilized, um, you know, he'll become more important. And, and with that, you know, 10th inning rule runner at second base to, to start the inning, mm, yeah. uh, you definitely want to have some speed. The only thing I would say, and not, not necessarily for Miller, but even David Bodie and some of the other uh, guys who will be bench players and, and, and play multiple positions is it's going to be tougher for them to get on the field because of the DH um, American league baseball you know, some of these teams only have a three-man bench and they're going to load up on as much pitching and as many arms as they can. Uh, having 30 uh, players on your roster at the beginning will help a lot, but I, I think a lot of teams are going to go with 17, maybe 18 pitchers just to make sure they're covered. So, you know, for, for me, um, I think the, the, the key moment will be when it gets down to 26, uh, will, you know, an Ian Miller or a third catcher like Josh Fegley, you know, which direction uh, do the Cubs go? And I think the, the way the first month plays out will dictate that. I want to turn to music now and give us a little behind the scenes on Sonic 45. So besides already changing your name, which you could uh, kind of give us some insight into, but it's you on bass, Matt Spiegel on vocals, Doc Jewel on guitar, uh, Gerald Dowd handles the drums and produced by Liam Davis. I think I got everybody in there, but how yep. did the band come together and what do you want to do with it moving forward for, for you guys in the group? Yeah, in 2016, uh, we're really uh, December-ish of 2015. It was, um, I was nearing my, my 45th birthday and I, you know, I'm kind of an amateur bass player, but I've played with a lot of really impressive musicians and uh and how long have you played i've played since uh the mid 90s but i took a break uh when i got my first big league job just because i i my focus was on my career and my young family and I just didn't have time to play but i got back into it uh, when theo came to the cubs and a hot stove cool music uh, event really got got uh, going back in 2012 
And, uh, I, I, you know, I've written some songs uh, back in the 90s with, with a couple of bands I was with, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And I thought, you know, if I'm ever going to really kind of come up with an idea and write some songs on my own and kind of devise an entire project solely, I better do it now or I'm never going to do it. And that was the genesis of the name, The 45. Uh, and uh, I spent about three years crafting a ton of songs and only then did I kind of disclose what I was doing and, and try to get some other people to join the band and uh, the group of guys you mentioned uh, all jumped at the opportunity thankfully they loved the material and we uh, have played out a few times live uh, we are currently mixing and about ready to to wrap up uh, full-length record we we were able to finish one single called pills and we we released that um, about a, a month and a half ago and you know the name was important to me the 45 because it was that that age um, you know when you hear 45 you think of a of a, a vinyl single uh, record uh, but there were a couple of other bands that had that same name so when you would search for our band uh, you you would stumble upon some other bands so I just decided it was early enough in the game uh, that I needed to do a little research and find something unique to us. And that if you searched for our name, you wouldn't uh, hit upon anybody else. And so that became Sonic 45. I think it's actually a better name. And I think it's a better descriptor of what we are and what we do. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. We're going to put out this record, I hope, late uh, in 2020. And it'll come out digitally. And also we're going to do a small uh, run of vinyl. And, uh, you know, my goals basically are just to finish it and get it out into the world and beyond that whatever happens happens if it touches a few people and they enjoy it and relate to it that's great but to be honest i think the best type of art or music is stuff that really touches you and um i'm, I'm all in and the band is all in and so in a lot of ways matt we're doing it for ourselves and if we enjoy it we think a lot of other people will too you mentioned the first song pills i really enjoy that the song sounds great uh, Speak sounds spooky, almost like uh, a David Bowie. Uh, that, yeah, that's the idea. It's you know, it's new wave, post punk, jangle pop. Um, yeah. Whenever I hear, whenever I hear a David Bowie reference, uh, that that makes me very happy um, because people hear things differently, right? And I, mm -hmm. you know, I had a very specific uh, ethos and vibe that I wanted for this band, and I wanted Matt to be Matt. Um, but I also wanted to put people in a certain place when they hear these songs. And when you say he sounds like David Bowie, that, that, that heartens me very much. <laughs> and you wrote the song and writing is such a personal thing. And I think songwriting even more so. What was your process to write pills in particular and how personally connected are you to it? Yeah, I think there's a combination of songwriting where, you know, you try to find something personal and meaningful. And then I think in other cases, you maybe try to find themes that are personal, even if it's not particularly autobiographical. Uh, in the case of Pills, I think it's the, the most personal thing I've ever written. And it was one of the first songs for this, this band I wrote. And it, it was kind of a scary song because um, there, there's some, you know, I would just encourage people to listen to it. Um, you know, you could take it a few different directions, but you know, I, for me, I've been pretty open about some anxiety I've dealt with and, and, and some medication I've dealt with uh, to, to help 
deal with all of that stuff. And so, you know, the, a lot of the themes of the record are about being middle-aged, uh, kind of understanding your place in the world, trying to figure out what that all means, and also trying to be young and, and still experience the things that inspired you when you were in college or a teenager or 25 and before a career began. And so, you know, I, I, I definitely think there's a, there's an audience for this type of music and it's probably people my age <laughs> roughly. Um, but I also want to reach out to younger people and, and make these songs as accessible to everybody as possible. Um, but in terms of the lyrical content and meaning, you know, I think the the song pills is, not necessarily obvious, but, um, you know, there's, there's no hiding behind a curtain in terms of what the, what the theme of the song is. And, you know, people can take it, uh, in, in a couple of different directions and that's fine. You know, I've had people say, what is pills about? I said, what do you think? <laughs> because, uh, you know, I thought I knew what it was about when I wrote it, yeah. but you want to kind of leave things open-ended. Uh, everybody takes a little something out of it. And then the, the last thing I want to do is say, this is what it's about and have someone go, Oh, that's a bummer. This is what I thought it was about. It's like, well, if that's what you thought it was about. That's what it's about. Uh, that's kind of the fun of it. Well, can I get your approval to close out the episode with the song? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, Absolutely. I'm going to I'm going to dig into my FM radio dreams then <laughs> and and wrap us up and then talk up the song. Uh, Len Casper, thanks for being on Eavesdrop today. This was this was awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, man. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks everybody for tuning in. For Len Casper, I'm Matt Cozy. This is Eavesdrop. And this is Sonic 45 with Pills. Enjoy. You don't fear the noise that had held you down. You are-